Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. It's Justin Hahnemann and the ContenderCast, shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're in the cannabis world. I can't even wait to jump in. You're going to love hearing about Forefront Ventures. Their chief financial officer is on today, Andrew Thut. He is on with me today. I cannot even wait, Andrew. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Justin. Great to be here. And it's so cool that you're here. Um, I had a great time learning about you before today and then also researching the company. And I can't wait to to dive into that. This industry is booming. You guys are growing, no pun intended. Um, and I can't wait to hear all about it, like how you're strategizing that, how you're thinking about it, where the market's going. So we're going to cover all that today on the podcast and how you can get involved, how you can like leverage these guys um, in the next 20, 30 minutes. So let's do this, Andrew, before we get to Forefront Ventures. How about just share with us your background, what you were doing before taking on the chief investment officer role? Sure. Um, uh, I have been in Boston here for a better part of 25 years um, since I got out of school. I started my career uh, in the finance world. I was a very junior investment banker here in town in the technology space. And after a few years of doing that, I jumped over to the public finance side. So I was a uh, both a research analyst and a portfolio manager uh, for small cap growth stocks um, here in town. I was at MFS and then spent the majority of my time on the buy side in at BlackRock. Got it. So I was there for 11 years. Wow. And did you cover any specific industries there or was it kind of across the board? What did that look like? We were across the board, but most of what we focused on were a lot of what we call business services, which were um, you know, transaction processing companies, um, uh, payment processing companies, um, you know, those, those types of click businesses, they're sort of flywheel businesses where you could continue to add volume and not a lot of cost. And there was very, you know, great visibility on the, on the revenue growth and earnings. So Got those it. were the kind of businesses that I was focused on. And they usually made up about a third of our portfolio. Interesting. And just one more question on that, just being more curious than anything. Did most of the companies that BlackRock would come into, did they already have like that kind of, I'll call it the machine part in place? Or did BlackRock have to help kind of put the mechanism in place and then you could run everything on top of that? Does that make sense? Yeah. You, well, if, if I'm understanding the question, you know, when companies came to me, did they already have the mechanism in place? Correct. In, in terms of companies that were coming for investment? Yeah. They were they were pretty far along. You know, we were sort of that second rung of small cap growth. So the or maybe the third. So the first would be kind of the angel investors who would fund a project, and then if they really got traction, you know, the venture capitalists would start to pay attention. And then once they went public, I would be the natural buyer for to sort of fund and and be the main investor in that next leg of growth before they either got acquired or they graduated to you know, the S&P 500 or whatever. So we were kind of the third step in that growth chain. And, you know, companies that, you know, came to us were were, were fairly well baked. It wasn't like we were putting putting in management teams or anything like that. Exactly. We were exactly. publicly traded stuff. Cool. Yeah, that's where I was going with it. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay, then fast forward just a bit. And you've been at Forefront now six years, or just about seven years, looks like. Um, Man, almost seven. That's <laughs> crazy. Time flies, right? Great here to prove it. So... <laughs> Forefront Ventures with expertise across the value chain. Forefront is building a next generation company in the cannabis industry. 
And interesting that you've been there seven years. I mean, this industry in, in my world of consumer goods, especially, has just really taken off, especially the last two or three years. So I'm curious to get your take on that in a moment. But give us the the high level, who is Forefront and a little bit of the background of what it looked like when you joined. Yeah, well, Forefront, you know, I actually joined as an investor, you know, shortly after I left BlackRock in 2013. And Forefront was founded, you know, back, geez, back in 2013, there was this big deal um, in terms of investor concerns on whether you could invest in a company that touched the plant versus not touching the plant. Said another way, it was a lot easier. People were a lot more comfortable investing in a consultant that would do work for the cannabis industry rather than the actual person or company that was growing the plant. Got it. And so... When Forefront was started, you know, a lot of the early investors were very reticent to touch the plant. So it was started as a consulting business um, that would help folks, um, you know, get licenses. And um, and then our operations folks would help get those clients up and running. And in 2014-15, we sort of switched the business model to, you know, being a consultant to being an owner-operator. So what what is now called an MSO or a multi-state operator that's how we shifted the business model in 2015. Got it. And so we had, you know, we used our expertise, you know, applying and and getting these permits in 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 limited licensed states and we get them up and operating. We were, you know, currently forefront is in um, you know, five states and uh Michigan, Illinois, Massachusetts, California and Washington. And we're continuing, you know, looking to continue to expand. Got it. And and I guess the, the last thing that I'd sort of leave you with on my elevator pitch of Forefront <laughs> is we think that, you know, we have our facilities in Washington, which is one of the more competitive states in the country. You know, we are the number two flower producer, the number one edibles producer in that state. Wow. And, and one of the big dry, and we figured out low cost production is a big driver of that because there's so much elasticity in the end markets for cannabis that if you can offer a consumer a really good product at an excellent price, you tend to take a lot of share. Got and it. So we're basically taking that expertise that we developed in Washington and those brands, and we're starting to put them into these other states that we're that we're currently in. Perfect. Perfect setup. Um, and thank you for that. So one thing we've talked about in other episodes of our show is just the industry and where it is today where it's come from where it's going you know we learned in the past that what you sell in the state has to be grown in the state at least currently share with us just kind of a perspective on the cannabis industry from your perspective what's what are the trends now what are some of the policies and and uh, kind of rules regulations things that you've got to be at least cognizant of in this industry at least today yeah well as 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 many of your listeners may know you know this is it's still a federally illegal industry, right, which, which, right. Means, which means that you can't take it. You can't take the product over state lines. But probably more important aspect of the difficulties that you know which we face with this being federally illegal is, is really around banking. So everything that we want to finance, you know, if we want to grow, if we want to build a grow facility in a state, it's going to cost us, you know, anywhere between. 20 and $50 million. And that, that money we have to go and come up with somehow. We can't For go that to Chase state. Bank. So you can't fund it from another part of the operation? 
You can, but, but these these companies aren't really cash flowing a ton because there's, a, there's another law called 280E, which which basically puts a, a pretty onerous tax on the cannabis industry that you know needs to be cleaned up as well. Got it. Um, well, the things that we're really focused on, you know, in terms of setting the stage for you know things that we're looking at that can change in the industry. The biggest one is very clearly, you know, getting the federal government to give us access to banking. Um, currently, there, you know, are a couple banks in every state that will bank the industry, but by and large, you know, we don't have access to big money center banks. Uh, we don't have to have access to, um, you know, the U.S. exchanges. Um, so, and we don't have institutional investors by and large, the Fidelities and Black Rocks. We don't have those types of folks owning these names. Got it. So, we think that you know probably the biggest catalyst for the space right now, outside of just you know the 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 acceptance of cannabis and this trend of switching consumers from the gray or illicit market to the legal market, I think the biggest thing from an industry slash stock standpoint right now is really around banking. Because if we get access to banking, um, you know, our cost of capital comes down, it leads to access to exchanges, it has institutional investors that can come in and participate in this growth trend. And that would probably lead to multiples expanding in the space. So those are those are really the big, the big near-term things that we're paying attention to. Got it. And then how has that shifted over time since you've been there? So when you got there, was it still the consulting organization and then it became more of the growing organization or the warehouse operation? Like what did that look like over time? Yeah, you know, we started and we 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 helped, you know, some of the some of the bigger names in cannabis, you know, get their original licenses when they applied when we were a consultant. So um we very much switched the business from, you know, sort of being a coach on the sidelines to sort of jumping into the game. Wow. And so early on, you know, we, we used our expertise to, you know, our capital markets expertise to acquire some licenses, but we also won a lot de novo. Um, But what we found is that we were pretty good at acquiring licenses and we were pretty good at the retail side, but what we as a company weren't very good at, was large-scale manufacturing of finished goods. Got it. And we weren't very good at cultivation. And so about three years ago, four years ago, we closed a, an acquisition um, in Washington State with a company called Canex. And Canex had, you know, because they were working in such a competitive state, they had to figure out how to grow more effectively, how to, you know, produce their products uh, in a cheaper, more efficient way, how to add automation. And so they had they had twenty five different brands and thousands of different SKUs that they were wow. do, they, you know wow. dominant market position in the Washington market. And we sort of said that's the expertise we need. Those are that those brands and those products are what we need. So we brought totally. them into the portfolio, and uh, it's really been um, a pretty fun ride since. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, for those that aren't familiar with the industry, similar to agriculture a bit and, and consumer products that starts with cultivation and forefronts. Um, they've really invested in this space. They've got two greater than 50,000 square foot indoor cultivation facilities in Washington. Um, pretty amazing. And then on the, the second part of the process is processing, extracting, manufacturing, which of course they operate one of the largest cannabis product manufacturing facilities in the world. Um, and we're talking about some of the top brands in flowers, edibles, oil-based products, which we've talked about in other, or other episodes of our podcast. And then the last piece, distribution and retail 
um, which is an interesting and evolving space today. And and in the last two segments, I'll call it of that, Andrew, that's where I'm starting to see some of the big CPG brands test out you know, investments. I'm seeing retailers asking more questions about product, especially as like, for example, I mentioned before we hit record, you know, the, uh, the, this cannabis beverage companies that are out there and food companies, and you mentioned, um, others. So, I mean, that it's really an interesting market. And I think there's a lot of interest. What are you seeing in terms of like actual investment? Well, we've always sort of said, so, you know, that I think that some of the big mainstream retailers really got interested in the CBD trend when it when it came on, you know, really, really sort of hit its stride a few years ago. And some of the enthusiasm for CBD only has kind of faded. Um, but we think that the real sweet spot in the value chain here is being a finished goods producer. Um, because there you have the opportunity to replicate how you manufacture something. And you can do that from state to state to state. Um, you have the opportunity to brand your product and have a consistent product. Um, and, you know, we, we grow and we're a pretty good grower of cannabis, but that's more out of necessity sure. where, you know, some of the states that we're in, you know, you just need that supply of cannabis and your customers want that flower and you need the flower and you need the plant for the raw materials for your input into a gummy. And so we think that, you know, long-term, you know, the cultivation side of this business is just going to continue to aggressively commoditize. Got it. And so, and so where we, the sweet spot is, is manufacturing, you know, a whole suite of products that we can replicate and get good market share across five, six, seven, eight states. Cross locations. And then all of a sudden you have national brands. And so exactly, that's where I'm going. That's yeah. So this is an interesting thing. Like, like a lot of people look at the cannabis industry and they say, well, this is great. You want to be Coke. You want to be Pepsi. You want to be Budweiser. And these brands are going to be really, really important. And we say, yes, the brands will be important. But right now, it's all about low cost production and being able to deliver a lower cost quality product to that consumer. That's what's getting shared. It's not signing up, you know, XYZ celebrity to right. your brand. No one's walking. <laughs> No right. one's walking into our Georgetown, Massachusetts <laughs> store saying, give me some of that Betty Watt brand or whatever. Right. They're just not. They're coming right. in saying, wow, I had that. It's pretty cheap. It was great. And I loved it. Let's get more. Got it. And so we think about branding a little bit differently at this stage in the market than perhaps others in the industry do. We just think that brands at this point are pretty overplayed. Yeah. And that if we can recreate um, products that customers love and that take outsized market share across the states we're in, that's going to create, um, you know, customer adoption and national brands and an opportunity to actually, you know, package those brands and, 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 and push it to the next level. But I just don't think we're there yet. Got it. So then, um, one of the questions I'm sure our audience are asking is like, who's your customer and has that changed over time? Is it, you know, is it still the consulting customer or is it other? What does that look like? You mean who is our end consumer? Uh, I wouldn't say consumer, but who are you helping? Like, who's when you think of our customer is is it the end consumer? And and yeah, our customer is okay. really the end consumer. So when we left the consulting business, you know, we basically jettisoned that business. Got it. We okay. are we are a um, an owner operator. We're doing 
doing it all. We're growing, we're manufacturing, and we're running the retail and sending, selling it to that end consumer. Perfect. So end to end, perfect or verticalized. Um, what about new markets? So you're in five states now. How do you decide where to go, where to go next? Six states. I think you're six states, right? Five states, six states, well, five states. I think so, in Arizona. There you go. Um, yeah. What does that yeah, look so like? So, so, so as a general rule, you know, it makes sense when you look at the look at the industry that you wanted to be in in densely populated states with limited licenses. And so that has been, that was sort of the core of our strategy, particularly early on. And we still think that that's a wise way to go. We are, you know, at, still actively looking to get into New Jersey. Um, and there are another, there are another bunch of states that we think could be potentially very, very attractive. Having said that, we think that we're incredibly unique in that we have figured out low cost production in a really competitive state like Washington. And so we just entered the California market um, with the opening of a 170,000 square foot production facility in Commerce, California. Wow. And to give you an idea of the scale of, <laughs> you know, when you walk into there, it looks like the Mars Candy Company. It looks like Willy Wonka. <laughs> you don't have that in the other place. Right. And so we felt comfortable that we could go into a huge, a huge highly competitive market like California, yep. given our success in Washington and put some of those automation and bring those brands and put that automation on steroids um, to be an even cheaper producer in California and to attack that market really aggressively. So we Got think it. we're uniquely positioned to go into some of these more larger, more competitive markets. But, you know, by and large, um, probably, probably our growth from here on out will be more focused on some of the more limited licensed states. Got it. And is a part of your business in lobbying and working the political angles to free up some of the regulations and rules? Is that an area you guys get into or others focused on that? Yeah. I mean, Forefront, you know, our founder, Chris Crane is, is vice chairman of the, um, one of our co-founders, Chris Crane, he's the vice chairman of the National Cannabis, Cannabis Industry Association. Chris came from, you know, the advocacy world. He was he was um, deputy director of Normal. He was one of the founders of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So he sort of spent his life on regulatory and social justice issues. And so we have we have always had a strong thread in our company of supporting, you know, not only some of the you know social equity stuff that's that you're starting to hear more about in the industry, but really trying to push the or issue forward in Washington. Got it. So we are pretty well plugged there. And then at the local level, man, a lot of this stuff, um, you know, is, is hand-to-hand combat right. uh, for, you know, in a state <laughs> sure. like Massachusetts. You know, five years ago, I started, you know, you knock on the door of, you know, the, t- the selectmen in, in, you know, any given town in Massachusetts. And you said, hi, I'm Andrew. Um, you know, my, I live with my family in the next town over. We want to start a dispensary in your town. Wow. And that process was really a process of knowing the politicians in that town and getting them comfortable that you're going to run a professional and safe operation. And so we did an awful lot of that, particularly in the early days of Forefront. Got it. That's really, really cool. And what an exciting time. As you look at the next six to 18 months, what does growth look like for you guys? What are the maybe a top one or two priorities as you think about you know growing your, your business? I've said this before. And... And back in my investing days, I always sort of cringed a little bit when when executives got on. They said, you know, 
hyperbolic stuff. Oh, right. <laughs> but I but I truly do believe that we're on the cusp of you know something really grand here in in cannabis. We're on the we're on the cusp of you know real movement on the federal legalization side. We're on the cusp of real capital starting to come into the space, and it's still you know there are probably fewer than ten of us that kind of you know have a good good blueprint for how we're going to execute on this so got it um you know we continue i think it's going to be a consolidated industry over the next particularly over the next year 18 months um for sure i, I can only that, imagine but that's not a new, that's not surprising right given the disparity of the market today and the small medium and large size players right it's it's not unusual and i think that you know a lot of a lot of players with well i'd say two things there is a dearth of talent in the industry, particularly at the middle management level right now. Okay, that's interesting. And so, you know, all these companies that are trying to grow, it's just really tough to find the, the right talent. Sure. Um, so sure. that's that's something that we work on every single day. But the other big thing that I'd say when you ask me what's going to happen in this industry over the next year or two is we've always said, you know, big alcohol, tobacco, um, big CPG, they're going to start to come into cannabis. And everyone sort of said, you know, been talking about that for years and it was right. always, always seemed sort of pie in the sky. I will tell you that those guys are very engaged with getting their foothold into this industry. And I think that, I think it's going to come potentially sooner than people think. I agree. Yeah. And on the finished product side, especially, I think, because they won't have the, the cultivation part. I don't, at least most That's of them that. wouldn't. No, I think that's where you're, you're dead right. You know, um, and I'm not sure that they want to be in that business. I don't think they want right. to be farmers. They want to source the materials that go into product, right? Or, or even nearly finished product and they can package a brand and sell. Now, I could be wrong, yeah, but I don't think Philip see. Morris grows tobacco. <laughs> right. Or Reynolds American. Spray doesn't grow cranberries. Right. Uh, so beverage companies source the materials that go into a, a recipe, right? I mean, absolutely right. And then they mix that in their production facility. So super fascinating. I love this topic. It's so cool what you guys are doing. Um, I always love to ask our guests, like, you know, two or three of the biggest lessons learned from, a, in, in your case, a leadership perspective in, in this industry and growing this company. You've got a lot of leaders listening, a lot of leaders of people, a lot of organization leaders, a lot of entrepreneurs listening. Like, as you think about just your background, it, and it can be at forefront or even prior, but what would be what would be two or three pieces of advice that you'd offer to our audience? You know, I I think that when people start doing something entrepreneurial, you know, they start they start checking boxes of things that they think that they should do. Like, give me an example. Like, I can't wait to hear this. I don't know. Like, <laughs> making sure you have making sure you have a filled out org chart, oh, and every yeah. box in this hypothetical org chart is filled, and making right. sure that the minutes from the last <laughs> you know, shareholders meeting. meetings are filed. <laughs> right. And there's there's a tendency when you start a company to what we call play business. And I think early on in our career, we we played a lot of business. You know, we we at we. You know, we checked a lot. We got the licenses and, 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 you know, we sort of filled out our senior management team and we had all those boxes checked. But at the end of the day, we weren't really moving projects long efficiently enough. Got it. You know, we're in the business of growing weed and selling weed. <laughs> and, and so I guess the lesson here is to just keep it simple. Right. You know, what are you doing? How are you going to make money? Yep. And go and focus 80%, spend 80% of your time focused on that. Not the BS and the trappings that come with, 
you know, being an LLC or whatever kind of company <laughs> right. you are when you start. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think enough said, like, perfect. Yeah. Andrew, share with the audience where they can connect with you guys, learn more about Forefront, et cetera. Yeah, so we are, um, you know, www.forefront.com. And we're also um, have a Twitter presence. And I, um, I'm andrew.toot at forefront.com for those that, um, you know, want to reach out to me directly. Happy to talk to folks that, you know, are interested in the business. I love it. Andrew, it's so great having you here. So great having you and represent Forefront Ventures and uh, share with us perspective on industry. I, I, I agree with you. There's just so much potential growth uh, near term and longer term in this industry. It'd be exciting to watch. Hope you'll come back on down the road, um, share more with us as you guys continue to grow, no pun intended, and um, really appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. I'll come back anytime. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.